Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Today's text is going to be from the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, a fairly familiar text, and actually... uh, Tom had quite a number of songs that kind of built off of verse 5 in this text that we were singing this morning. Uh, And this section is known within Judaism, for reasons I'll explain in a couple minutes, as the Shema, the Shema. And so today we're going to uh, be be looking here at Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear now the word of the living God, your creator and your redeemer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your Gates. Um, this time of year, and, and sometimes, you know, like your people like to kind of go through and pick out the biggest things that have gone on, and sometimes you inevitably get, you know, pick the one or two biggest events of a time. And I'm the kind of person who I hate being asked to pick what's your favorite, like what's your favorite band of all time probably whoever I'm listening to right now at the moment. You know, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite movie? I'm not a person who likes to pick out one thing like that. And my life has been devoted to studying Scripture since I got saved, uh, I guess it was 38 years ago. Um, and if somebody asked me, you know, pick out your favorite passage, I, I, I can't do that. There's too many different ones that I like. Or what do you think's the most important one? But For Jews, there was no question out of the whole Old Testament, if you said, what's the most important, what's the biggest thing, they would have gone to the text I just read. Not one of the Ten Commandments, not the creation story, not Passover story. They would have gone to this one. And in fact, as we're going to see in a few minutes, when Jesus was asked a question regarding the most important command in all Scripture, this is exactly where he went. So what is this Shema, as they called it, and why is it so important? That's what we want to try and talk about today. Now, I want to begin by kind of painting out, when I say that Jews said it was the most important, and it still is to the day, I want to begin by talking about the importance of Shema, and I'll start with Judaism, and then I'll look at what Jesus says. Um, The the, the word Shema, and the reason it's called Shema, is that's the Hebrew word for hear. So when it says Hear, O Israel, it begins, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elochenu, Adonai Echad. That's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so they took that first word, Shema, and they made it the name of this because this command became so important. And the Shema was often the very first word that Jewish children learned. And we're going to see that the rabbis developed this out of looking at this passage. If you notice in verse 7, it says, impress them on your children, these commands of mine. And so they took that and said, well, the way to impress them is we're going to try and make sure that our kids' first words that they're learning are actually these words, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. They tried to work to teach their children that as their very first words. And then if you were a young Jewish child and you had learned these words before you even knew what they meant fully, you would have it reinforced because they recited these words twice every single day. Faithful Jews did this. In fact, that was one of the 613 commands was you were to recite these in the evening and in the morning. Notice this is also from verse 7 where we impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, remember, Jewish days don't begin in the morning like ours do, 
The Jewish days begin in the evening. So when you lie down and when you get up, that's the beginning of the day, and then more or less when you're heading into the end of the day. So you kind of book frame your days by not just quoting whatever verse you wanted, but it was always the Shema. You were to recite this twice a day. In fact, they also said, well, then not only are we going to teach our children this so it's our first words, and then they're going to hear us recite it twice a day, they had what was known as phylacteries. And these were things, they were little boxes that they put on their hands and especially on their foreheads where they carried little scriptures around, and guess which scripture was in there? The Shema, because verse 8 says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, I know it sounds strange to us, but you can actually go into some Jewish meetings today where people will still wear those. And in the time of Jesus, people very often wore these little boxes around, and we found a bunch of them uh, in archaeological digs, and they had the Shema in them. But not only did you... Learn them as your first words, recite them twice a day, carry them around tied as symbols on you. You also had them on your house in what's known as a mezuzah, which were the doorposts of the house. And so in verse 9, notice, we're told, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that when you're going out, you wake up in the morning and what's the first thing you recite? the Shema, and then you tie it on yourself, and then you walk out, and what's the last thing you see as you walk out your door? You, you see a little holder with Shema. In fact, we'll put a picture up here. You may have seen these some places, the little angular thing sitting up there, and oftentimes they'll have the Hebrew uh, symbol, Sheen, for, which is the first letter of Shema. Uh, they would put those there, and they would write them inside of that and stick it there. And specifically, it was Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, and then also Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 21, which kind of reiterates this command. Those would be written and placed in there. And the procedure is you had to actually hold the mezuzah up against the spot on which it's going to be affixed, and then they would recite a blessing, and the blessing uh, translated into English is, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his mitzvot, which is commandments, his commandments, and commanded us to affix a mezuzah. And they're getting this command because you told us to put these on the door frames of our houses and on our gates. So as you're walking out, you're reminded again of this same passage of Scripture. And then you go out and you conduct your business in the day and you come home and what's the first thing you see as you walk back in your gate and into your house? The same thing that is a reminder once again of this specific verse. But not only that, you go through your whole life. So if, you, if you're a faithful Jew and you say, what's the first word you learned? You say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. These are the first words I learned. And what are the first words you say every morning? I repeat those same words. What's the, 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 the words you say at night? I repeat those words at night. And what do you see when you come and go? You, I have them on me. I see them on the door frames of my house and on my gates. And what are the last words you want to utter in this life, especially if you're called upon to be a martyr? I want to go out of this world with the words on my mouth, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. I want them to be my first words, and I want them to be my last words. In other words, these people are pretty radical about this. And interestingly enough, when they write them down, uh, I'm going to put a picture up here. This is a Hebrew scroll. And if you notice, that top line is that phrase, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And by the way, when I'm saying Adonai, that's because they don't pronounce Yahweh. It's actually Yahweh is written in there, but they don't pronounce the divine name. But notice uh, where the two arrows are, and remember it starts from your right and goes to your left is how you read Hebrew. That's the last letter of the first word. That's the last letter of Shema. Kind of looks like a Y there to you all. And the very last letter, that big letter, notice those are bigger than everything else. Because what they're doing is they're making a little cryptogram here. Those two letters, the ayin and the dalet, the, the last letter of Shema and the last letter of Echad, form another word, aid, which means testimony or witness. And whenever they wrote Hebrew scrolls, and they are very meticulous, you make a mistake and the scroll's got to be destroyed. But whenever they did these, they always wrote those letters larger. Because this is our testimony. 
This is our witness. This is our creed. That hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And so they did this. This was their testimony. And of course, as they came into the Greek world, does anybody know what the Greek word for testimony or witness is to be a witness? It's marturos. Can anybody guess what word we get from marturos? Martyr. Martyr's a witness. It's someone who witnesses to death. And for a faithful Jew, your witness is the first word you learned. And the words you, you said when you, uh, your day began at night and you recited in the morning when you got out of bed and that you tied on you and that you saw when you went out the gate and you saw when you came back in and they were the words you wanted to die with on your lips. This was your witness. This was your testimony. These words were the backbone of faithful Judaism and they continue to be till this day. You still can't, in our computerized age, when you get a mezuzah, you cannot go get a printed copy of Torah that's just done off on a computer. Okay, I could print a copy. It has to be handwritten by an authorized scribe, an authorized soper. He has to sit down and write that out for you because it is a very specific skill you have to basically be licensed to do. This is how they practice their faith. So we're going to apply the word. Everybody under your chair, there's a mezuzah. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. We're not going to make everybody affix them to your door. But can you see, are they radical about this passage? Man, I mean, this is everything to them. Now, we might say, well, that's Judaism. Except for you remember on an occasion, Jesus is there and he's being tested. And a lawyer says, so what do you think is the single most important command? Now, see, this is the question that I would object to. And I'd say, I don't like picking one out. But they asked Jesus, they said, okay, so there's 613 commands, and you got the whole Old Testament. So what do you think is most important? And here's how Jesus answered. This is in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus says, this is easy. The first words Joseph and Mary taught me, it's my prayer at the beginning and ending of every day. I've memorized them, learned them, affixed them. I have recited them in temple. They have been affixed to the house when me and my dad helped build houses. We help put those up there. I have seen them. This is the backbone of our faith. This is an easy question. Number one is Shema. Out of 613s, this is it. Out of all of the Old Testament, this is central. So based on that, I would take it for us, this is a pretty important command. So what is it teaching us? Okay, the rabbis sat down and they went through and they said, well, you know, it says when you lie down and you get up, so that's the, the, the evening and the morning. They went through and they did all these things, but what's the heart of Shema? What is God really commanding us to do in this test? And it's basically that we are to love God by hearing and speaking God's word. Notice the goal. The Shema gives us the goal. And the goal is loving the one true God. So you'd say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So verse 4 is basically the creed of Judaism. And that's their creed. In a polytheistic world where there were more gods than there were cities on the earth, Israel said, no, there's one God. And that one God is one. And we are to be devoted to him and to no other God. Now you have to realize how, uh, how radical this was because as cultures came into contact with one another back then, they just started adopting each other's gods. Okay, you remember even the Romans. The Romans, they loved Greece and they loved all things Greek. So what did they do when they were looking for gods? 
They just took the Greek gods and gave them Roman names. That's, that's all they did, right? Zeus became Jupiter. That's, that's all you do. You just give them a new name, but we just keep adding them in. And in fact, the Romans would come into contact with the Jews and say, hey, look, we could, we'll just add Yahweh in. To which Jews would say, uh, first off, don't pronounce his name. Secondly, no. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God, and he is to be loved. And so it's a claim against all idolatry and false religion, and we are to not make God the way we want him to be, but take him actually as he is. And so this is verse 4 is the creed. Now verse 5, notice, is love the one true God with all that we are. He says, uh, Beth, uh, yeah, right there, verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So the, the goal of knowing that there is only one God, knowing God as he actually exists, is not just mental knowledge. The goal of biblical knowledge is always love. Always. Knowledge that doesn't produce love is not godly. It's not actually orthodox. It's not according to the scripture. And orthodox faith, and I use faith in little scare quotes there, an orthodox faith that does not produce love for God is dead religion. Not the loving, living faith of scripture. If you understand and know all kinds of principles, but it's not leading to a love for God and a love for God's commands, it's not actually a living faith. It is actually dead faith. And so the goal of all worship and the goal of the habits of grace, as we call them around here sometimes, the, the goal of us gathering together, the goal of us going through all of the practices of our faith is that we would love God supremely and we would love him fully. Notice here with all your heart and soul and strength. Now some people want to try and break this down and that means there's three parts to people that has nothing to do with it. When Jesus quotes it in Mark, he makes it four parts. Okay, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, that's not the point. The point is with everything you are, you are to love God. Every fiber of your being is to love God. God. And so the, rich, the ritual practice that's commanded by the Shema is for the purpose of fully knowing and fully loving God. It would do no good to do all of those things we discussed if at the end of it I didn't love God. But the goal of those things is that we would fully know and fully love God. But the Shema does more than that. And I, and I appreciate when God does this. I can't stand when people tell me something is really, really important and you really, really should do this and then they don't tell me how to do it. How do I get to the goal, okay? And God doesn't leave us in that place. He not only gives us the goal, he gives us the method that gets us to the goal. He not only gives us the end, he gives us the means that will get us to that end. And the method is hearing and speaking God's word. He gives us the goal, loving him, and the method, hearing and speaking God's words. And so what he's wanting us to hear, and please understand this, it is impossible absolutely impossible to love and experience God apart from the chief way he's given, which is his word, okay? Not because Brett says so or Brett likes studying the scripture, but because God, in what Jesus said is the most important command, says so. Jesus picked it out, said this is a number one most important, and in that command it tells us not only that we have to love God, but how it is that we will do so. Now this is important for us because our culture loves to say that methods are neutral. Particularly churches that are kind of similar to ours like to say, well, we keep the message, but we can shift the method around. No, you can't. Methods are never neutral. They always make one way more or less likely and another way more or less likely. And so it is not only the goal that's important, but also the method. God has not only prescribed the ends, but also the means. So here's the means that he gives us. First, we hear. This begins with Shema. Shema Israel. Hear Israel. 
personally receiving God's word. So notice in verse 4, hear, O Israel. And in fact, that's why they call it Shema. It's hear. That word is so central. But notice in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Okay? That's another way of saying you got to hear them. You've got to personally receive it because the word Shema in Hebrew, and the same thing is actually true of the Greek word, they didn't just refer to your ear processing sound waves going through the air. What they meant was to, yes, hear it, but understand it, receive it, take it to yourself and make it part of yourself. That's what God means when he says, hear, O Israel, not just, well, I, I listened to the sound waves and so I fulfilled the command. No, it means they are to be upon your heart. In fact, hear, verse Shema, is the only imperative in this entire passage. That's the imperative. Hear me. Listen. Take my word into yourself. Because here is the foundation of everything else. We cannot love God supremely, and we cannot pass his word to others until we've received it ourselves. If I don't first hear I cannot speak, and the end result is I will not love God supremely. And there are many, many, many Christians today who are trying to love God apart from the method God has given, and it will not work. It's not possible to do so because God has said it's not possible. So to hear is to let God's word soak into our hearts so that it flavors all of life. If I, I like cooking, but one of the things I, I was looking the other day, um, what some of our kids had given us a cookbook I had asked for for Christmas that's put out by C.S. Lewis Institute, and I was looking for something to make for Linda and I on Friday. And there were a couple of recipes that I liked, except for they would end with, and then put this together and put the meat in it and marinate it for the next eight or ten hours. And I was like, okay, I don't have eight or ten hours. I'm looking for something I can make, like, soon. <laughs> so I had to pass it up. Well, why do they tell you to marinate? Why can't I just brush it on? What does marinating do? It soaks it in so that everything in there is flavored by that. That's what God means by Shema. Okay, not just I wake up, I hear a little bit. No, it soaks in and it flavors everything in my life. We are not a culture that likes to marinate. We like, Linda and I, uh, on Friday, we, we actually went to the uh, Museum of American History. And it's kind of funny because in one part, they had Julia Child's kitchen, which is really cool to look at. And all of the stuff that Julia Child's did. And then you can walk around the corner, and they had a thing about cooking in the 70s and 80s that ended with a microwave. And a microwave cookbook, how you could cook gourmet food in a microwave. That's going to end up in purgatory, I am sure. <laughs> I was like, what, what an ab abomination. Gourmet cooking in a microwave. It's how to make things like rubbery. That's what it is, right? But see, we're convinced as a culture, I can just microwave it. No, you can't. It's not the same thing. You're not getting what Julia Childs did by peeling back the plastic and popping it in the microwave and hitting auto-cooked TV dinner. It doesn't work that way. And we want to take that same thing and apply it to the way we walk with God. And I want to just microwave my walk with God. Well, you get microwave results. And then you wonder why my Christian walk is kind of like this rubbery, tasteless thing. Well, it is because of the way we're approaching it. And so God says, hear. So unless we personally, regularly hear and read and meditate and study and memorize God's word, will not be able to love God, nor by used, used by him to draw other people, okay? Because this is the pathway by which God has given us to get there. Now, let me get practical here for a second. How do we, how do we hear God's word? How do we do what God is commanding us to do in the Shema? Number one, I, I would encourage you to do exactly what it literally says, hear God's word being read. When this command was given, 
They did not go home the next day and roll the scroll open and have a quiet time because how many copies of the scroll were there? Very few. You didn't own one. How did you hear it? You gathered with God's people and you heard God's word being read. Now, fortunately, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, you live in the time when it is easier to do what the Shema tells us than at any other time in human history. Tomorrow morning, I am going to practice Shema. I am going to hear God's word read because I'm going to pull my phone out. I'm going to pop open my little app and I'm going to say, read Psalm 105 is what I'm going to be reading tomorrow morning. And it is going to read God's word to me. And I listen to it. Sometimes I even listen to it twice. I listen to it while I'm popping my contacts in in the morning. And then I let that actually inform my prayers. As I'm going through and praying for you all, whatever I just prayed and heard in that psalm, I let kind of shape my prayer. So I encourage you, if you have one of these ways to fulfill the Shema and a little piece of technology, use it for that. I recommend the Uversion app, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. It's free, and you can pick whatever version you like, and you can pick professional people to read it to you. So there is literally no excuse. My time is so cramped. Are you, are you going to work? Listen to it while you go to work. Listen to it while you cook. Listen to it while you do the dishes or whatever. Notice what it says in Shema. Just as you're going through life, you're just listening to it. Okay? And it's easier than ever. Back when Moses said those words, you'd have had to hire a rabbi to walk around behind you with the scroll reading it to you. You have a rabbi who reads it to you now very easy way. I encourage you to read it. Just sit and read scripture chapters at a time. Sometimes use a different version. I rarely, I'm not a person who likes to read through the Bible a lot now. I've read through the Bible many, many, many times. When I used to still practice that, almost every year I would change the versions because it was good to hear it in a different version because it would make me sit up sometimes and say, whoa, I, what did he say? That's a little different. When I get ready, like when we've been studying King David, I have listened and re-listened and re-listened and re-read 1 Samuel over and over and over again for the sections we've already done in this. And I listen to it in the NIV. I listen to it in the ESV. I listen to it in the King James. I just listen to it different ways and read it in different versions so that it soaks in. Meditating on it is a different thing. Instead of taking and reading a whole section, just take a verse and you might spend days thinking over that verse. Read a short passage or verse. Spend time thinking over it. It's the opposite of reading. The rabbis didn't just read the Shema. They said, okay, well, what's it saying? It says evening and morning. So let's do the prayer twice a day. It says that we're supposed to have them on our hands. So let's create phylacteries. It says put them on the door frames of our houses. Let's make a mezuzah and we'll stick them up there. They meditated. They said, well, what are the various parts of this of how we do this to build it in. And in fact, since it's our testimony, we're going to make the two letters larger so that every time it's read, there it is. It reminds us this is the testimony of our faith. That came from meditating upon it and saying, how does this apply? So whereas in reading, you know, to read the Bible through in a year, which is a fine practice, but you read 3.25 chapters a day. I already know that. 3.25 a day. But you might take one verse and spend a week on it, meditating and turning it around and asking yourself, how do I apply this? What does this mean? How does it work in my life? That's how it starts to marinate and soak into us. We study it. You can study a topic. One thing, I, and I get asked by people regularly, and, and I appreciate these questions, please send them. But sometimes if you got a question, the first thing I'd encourage you to do is do what I do. I go to our church website and look up the Bible verse that I'm on and see if there's ever been a teaching or the topic. Because half the time when I give you my answers, that's my first thing is I go to the church website, I look it up and I say, Did I, have I ever taught on this in the past? With, with all the information right there. You can go and you can study, you can work and look. And so I encourage you, hit the website. The stuff is there. Stephanie will take this. This teaching today will be accessed not only by the text, 
but by like six or seven different topics by the date. And if it were part of a series, it would be in that series thing. And you can find it always from any of those ways. It's a great way to do. I encourage you to memorize a verse or passage. If you were watching while I was reading the passage this morning, you'll notice I was not reading the passage. I was actually just quoting it from memory because I memorized this passage probably 25 years ago or something and just stuck it away. So if I'm ever thrown in jail and they take my Bible away, they can't unless they do a lobotomy on me, in which case I won't really care at that point because I've just been stuffing God's word away inside my head for year after year after year after year. And so no matter where I'm at, I can call God's word back up, okay? Those are all ways you can take it in. And I want to encourage you again, my point, this should be encouraging you. It is easier to do now than ever before. I could not have listened to God's word while I put contacts in 500 years ago. First off, because there weren't contacts. But secondly, because I couldn't have had somebody read it to me. But now I can. They can read the scripture to me. While I'm cooking, while I'm driving down the road, wherever I'm at, God's word can be read to me. I encourage you, if you can't find some other time, do it before you get out of bed in the morning. You don't even have to turn the light on because these little things that create so many problems, but they have the wonderful property that they will backlight for you. So it can be perfectly dark. Your spouse can still be sleeping and you can read God's word before you even get out of bed in the morning or last thing before you go to sleep at night. And I encourage you, there's tons of podcasts out there that are great. I've got multiple different things that I listen to each and every week to inform me regarding God's word, to build it into my life because it begins here. Now, after we've heard God's word, there is another part to the method. And that part is we are called to speak God's word, to pass it on to others. Notice in verse seven, he's, he said the <clears throat> commands I've given you, you are to impress them on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So God says, you don't just take my word in. This is like that Dead Sea metaphor I've used before. If it's all flowing in and nothing's flowing out, it doesn't produce life. It, in fact, becomes toxic. And so we don't just take God's word in. There's something that helps to fasten it to my own soul and to increase my love for God in sharing it. When we find something that is exciting to us, we like talking about it with others. I never, a number of years ago, if you'd have gone back 10 years and you would have told my wife and my children I was going to cook supper, they would have all been trying to figure out where we were going to eat that evening because me even boiling water was, was really at the extremes of what I could do. But once I started cooking and I started enjoying it, I not only enjoyed it, I enjoyed talking to other people and finding out about kind of what they did and learning what was going on. I had something new to me and I wanted to talk about it with other people. And there are many other things that are that way. I'm that way with music and a whole number of things. We don't just take something in if we love it. We find ourselves talking with other people about it. And so God says here, that's what you do. You talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. My commands are on your lips. True fellowship includes talking about what God is speaking to us from his word. That's just what it does. If we are with brothers and sisters, that should come into our topic of conversation. And let me be quick to say that should happen at meetings. That should happen when we fellowship here. It should happen when we're in small groups. But notice the Shema goes far beyond that. It says when you're at home, when you're on the road, in essence, again, all of life. That's what he's really getting at. No matter when it is, what part of the day it is, whether you're at home, whether you're on the road, whatever you're doing, God's word should be on your lips. And so what we're talking about is that I talk with somebody and say, here's something I've been reading. Here's something I've been hearing or something I've been learning. We ask each other questions. It's a great thing to say, I've been wrestling through this. How, how, what do you think this means? Okay, And that's not a sign of immaturity. I still am at the place where I ask and say, 
What do you think about this? What, what is your understanding of this text? What is your understanding of what God would be speaking to us? If you are married, you have a built-in person, assuming they're a believer, that is right there that you do this with, which is to talk about who God is and what God says and what God is speaking and working. But there is a specific category that the Shema directly brings out as you meditate on this passage, which is parents with children, with us taking it and passing it on to the next generation. So, you know, notice it says in verse 7, impress them on who? Your children. The direct command, first off, is regarding the children. What this means is, let me say this very clearly for our parents, reading Scripture with our kids is not an option. It is commanded by God, not in some remote passage that Brett just found, in the passage, Jesus said, take the whole Bible, A number one, most important, if you're stuck on a desert island and you can only have one thing, have this. That verse says you have to take Scripture to your children. And notice it does not say impress them on your children by taking them to the rabbi who will impress them on your children. Who's to impress them on the children? The parents. Does Bay Ridge have children's ministry? Yes, we do. And we take it seriously. But let me tell you what is destroying the faith being passed on to the next generation in our culture. And this isn't because Brett says it is. We have study after study after study after study that says this is what's happening. We take our kids to a church, and they've got this whiz-bang ministry, and there's all this cool stuff going on, and the kids love it because there's smoke, and there's all this, and we drop them off. We don't even see them the entire morning. They're off, and they got their own band going, and they got all this, and then they grow up, and they leave the faith. That is exactly what is happening in droves because it's not the method God gave. We impress commands on our children. We take the faith and put it on them. And by the way, it's good for them to be part of worshiping with the entire multi-generational kingdom of God. It's a bad idea to break apart from God's methodology and create our own. And so, not surprisingly, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. If you're a parent, you have a requirement from God to do this. In fact, I can even add to it, if you're a parent and you have dedicated your children at Bay Ridge, part of the vows that you take in doing that, because I sit down with every parent before they do a baby dedication, and I say, this means you will have family devotions. Just so we're clear, that's what this vow is. You are vowing particularly I speak to the dad, that you will lead your family in family devotions. You're taking a solemn vow before God in the congregation. So on top of the command in Scripture, we have that we've also taken a personal vow to do the same. If we do not regularly read God's Word to our children, please hear this. We are begging for them to grow up not loving Jesus. If you want to get on your knees and beg God and all the angelic hosts to not have your children love Jesus, here's the best way you can do that. Just don't read Scripture to them. And you will get that prayer answered. It will be answered in spades. And again, study after study after study shows this. Not to mention, I've been pastoring for 23 years now observed and I've watched and it makes all the difference in the world. Now, here's the good news. This is easier to do than ever before. When this command was given, you had to memorize it and sit at home and do all this from memory. You don't have to do that now. It's all easy for us to do. There are all kinds of children's storybook Bibles that are very engagingly read. We just had Tim and Becky's four kids were with us last night, and so we were reading, and they like sitting in my lap, and we've got the, the Jesus storybook Bible, and they love reading it because it's told so well. And so we just sat there story after story, and they'd say, one more. 
And I would read one more and just one more, Papa. <laughs> so, okay, Papa, we'll just keep reading as long as y'all want to sit here. Papa will keep reading you the Bible. That's not a problem. Okay? It's so easy to do. Here, we've got the Gospel Story Bible, and we're just starting this week, as it happens, and that's not why we're doing the teaching today, but I was talking with Jer and running by, and he said, yes, well, we're changing to the New Testament today. So there is a Gospel Storybook Bible that we have included for parents that goes through, and it takes you through the most important parts of Scripture. You don't have to figure out, well, how do I make this appealing to my kids? They've already done it for you. Okay, all you have to do is read. Read the story at uh, your kid's level. There's devotional guides that come with what the kids are learning upstairs right now. As a parent, there's the Old, uh, the old Testament one was called Long Story Short. We're moving into the New Testament. It's called Old Story New. It will tell you this week five devotions to read to your children. I, I can't make this any easier. It can't get any simpler than this, okay? If you don't have one, see Charlene. We'll get you one. It's 10 bucks to get outfitted with all of this. If you don't have the 10 bucks, I or somebody will cover it for you. Don't worry about it. We will make sure you get it to get the word of God to the next generation. You can use the catechism. I spent hundreds of hours working through because it's family devotion in a can. It's a question. It explains why the question's there. It gives you other ways to ask the question. It gives you all kinds of Bible verses to read along and even a hymn to sing at the end. Can't be made any easier. So what that means for us is that there simply is no excuse. There's no cost to doing it other than my own desire. And we need to make this part of our routine with our kids. When my kids were young, and, and I want to remind you, this was all long before. I'm not pastor guy saying this, okay? I had four kids before I was ever pastor guy, and we did this. In fact, when we found out that Linda was pregnant, first activity that night was I opened the Bible and I started reading to Tim and Jeremy and Johnny and Stephanie while they were in the womb first words they were hearing, I didn't read the Shema for some reason. I read other things. I read blessings over them, but I started reading to them from then. And when they were born from before they could understand it, I just started reading God's Word to them. Reading God's Word to them. And there weren't quite as many good children's storybook Bibles back then, I'll tell you. We just made do. And we worked through. And it was part of our routine. If I would have tried to send my kids to bed without doing devotions, they would have thought the whole world had come undone. It was just what we did. You brushed your teeth. You had certain routines you went through. We knew what time it was going to be. And we know daddy's going to read scripture with us. That's the way it is. That's the way it ought to be with us and our kids. And I want to say, if you're sitting here and you're not a parent, you can still be involved in this. We are all called to pass the faith to the next generation. I don't know why you are a believer. I don't know exactly what your story was and how it happened, but I'll tell you this. You're a believer because somebody else had heard the gospel from somebody else who had heard it from somebody else, and it goes back thousands of years. There is nobody here today who can say, I was sitting there when Jesus took the loaves and fishes out. We know because people invested in the next generation who invested in the next generation, which is why in the most important command right up front, next generation. So if you're here and you're not even a parent, you can still be involved by teaching. If you want to volunteer for children's ministry, you don't have to be a parent. See Charlene? She can get you involved and engaged. And by the way, it's easier than ever before. The materials are there. It's not like... When, when I actually used to lead children's ministry here and we took it over, you know how children's ministry was back then? It'd be like, Jim and Janine, you got the kids. They're aged like 4 to 12. Good luck. What's the curriculum? The Bible. Figure it out. That was our children's ministry plan back then. Uh, amazingly enough, many of those kids grew up and loved Jesus. Somehow. Still. But it's easier than ever. If you want to invest in the next generation, I encourage you to do so. Now, how do we apply the word? What does this mean for us? Well, there's two questions. 
notice here, because I want you to understand how to do this, the question's not really, am I loving Jesus with everything inside me? Okay? Because God's not only given us the goal, he's given us the means. I can't directly do the goal. I can't say, love God, love God, love God. It's not the way it works. If I say, I want to love God, what's the means he gave me? Hear God's word, speak God's word. So the question is, am I hearing God's word? Am I speaking God's word? Because if I am, the outcome will be loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I am not, the outcome will always be, irrefutably, I'm not loving God. So the question is, number one, am I regularly hearing God's word to me? How often do I take in the Scripture? How often? It all begins here. If I'm not hearing Scripture, I will not grow in my love for God. In fact, my love for God will grow cold. That's what it does. Now, the reality is, who in here has ever experienced having their love for God grow cold? Okay. If you say you haven't, you're either only started loving God nine seconds ago, or you're a liar. We all have. It happens to every one of us. And the question at that point becomes, am I really hearing God's word? Because I can go through the motions. I remind you, some of the people who did all of these commands in the Shema are the very same people that crucified Jesus, which might be the height of not loving God. Okay? Because they weren't really hearing the word of God. They were just going through motions. Am I hearing God's word? Do I have a regular daily time in the word? Just reading the scripture is not sufficient, but it is mandatory and necessary. If I'm not reading the scripture regularly every day, I'm not going to get to the goal. I need to be doing it with the right heart and other things can be spoken of, but I have to be doing that. So am I regularly reading the scripture? Is it there? Is it just a part of my life? If it's not, well, guess what? I just remembered it's New Year's Day. No better time than now to begin and just say, tomorrow I'm going to wake up. If you don't know what else to do, I think you could start with Genesis. I would really encourage you to start in the New Testament or start with the book of Psalms. If you don't know what else to do, I pray a psalm virtually every day. I pray a psalm. I, I can't stress the importance of psalms enough. Love praying the psalms. And that will guide you right into your prayers. So just, if you don't know what else to do, pray a psalm. Just start tomorrow doing that. But are you regularly in the Word? Figure out when it works best for you, and then stick to that. Now, will there come times when you don't feel like doing it? Yes. If I remove it from this topic of studying the Word, I like working out. If you've been around me for very long, you know that. Guess how many days a week I wake up and I think, I have got to go work out again. That is most days. Now, 10 minutes in, guess what I'm thinking? Man, I like working out. But there's that thing when I first wake up, like, I would rather be strapped to the Iron Maiden <laughs> than have to do this again. But the question is not, am I going to go work out? Uh, yeah. It's Monday to Friday. I work out. Uh, that's what I do. And before I do that, I'm going to tomorrow pray Psalm 105. Just pray. Which thankfully is not, like this isn't hard. It's not like solve this hard physics problem that Einstein couldn't figure out. That's hard. Let, hit play. <laughs> let a professional reader read Psalm 105 to me and maybe read it a couple of times and then let that inform me. That's not hard. Am I doing that? Now, if your time, there's a second question. If you say, I'm doing that, but is God really speaking to you in it? Because one of the things that we sometimes get into is we get into a rut with something. And it's like, this is the 23rd year in a row I'm reading the Bible through. And maybe I'm getting nothing out of it. Then let me give you a tip. Then maybe do something else besides reading the whole Bible through. Okay? Change your version. Read something different. Work through it. Is God really speaking to you? Don't just do the same thing. If it gets stale, 
do something different. I am huge on this. I just shift and change what I'm doing for my for my devotional times with God. I read different things. I pray different things. Even right now, I'm praying through the Psalms. I'm at 105, but sometimes I just stop and say, I'm going to pray something different. I'm going to use Paul's prayers. I'm going to work through something different. Do it. Change your scripture intake fairly often to keep it fresh so that God is speaking to you. That's the first question. Second one, am I regularly speaking God's word to others? So, if I'm hearing God's word, if I'm taking it in day after day, how often do I share what God's speaking to me? Do I talk about it in small group or with friends or spouse or kids or coworkers or whatever else? Do I say what God is speaking to me? Now, most of us do this, if we're honest, in almost all of life. Linda and I were there the other day, and she said, did you know that Debbie Reynolds died? And I said, uh, no, I knew Carrie Fisher had. I didn't know that. Now, that's not because she said, you know, well, I've got a to-do list, and I have to tell Brett five interesting facts a day. Yeah, <laughs> she may have that to-do list. Okay, it's just she had read something. Wow. And I was the person there. And so she said something to me about it. It's the same way just about what God is speaking to us. God's speaking. I'm just hearing. I'm just learning. It may be something you even heard this morning and said, wow, I never thought about all this stuff at Shema. I never noticed what those things were. You know, maybe I even talk to somebody and say, hey, I want one of those mezuzahs stuck on my doorpost. I think I am going to do that to remind me of this. Whatever. Talk about it. Okay? In fact, many of you know, I don't know if you're aware, it was me at a baby dedication reading the Shema that made Mark Holmes go off on his whole thing about buying all the Bible leaves and all the Bibles and all the stuff we do to share the gospel every fall at the county fair, all came out of a baby dedication, Mark meditating upon what it meant. And so he and I were having lunch the other day, and we were talking, and we were talking about the Shema. We were going through, and we were looking at all this, because he did it and said, well, I heard that, I've learned stuff, and now I'm talking to somebody else about it. Okay? Is that what we do? If what God's uh, speaking to us is not a regular part of our conversation. The effect is our love grows cold. What I love, I talk about. I've said this many times before. If, if I got off somewhere and nobody knew anything about me, pretty soon they're going to find out certain things about me. I'm married to the most fantastic woman ever. I've got four great kids. I got eight great, I got eight grandbabies. And that is not again because I'm you know, I got to make sure I get these points out. It just oozes out. It's who I am. You're going to learn I got the best taste in music in the history of mankind. <laughs> You're going to learn that. Okay? Because that's who I am. And you're going to know that I love Jesus. And we're going to talk about that. I was getting my hair cut two weeks ago. And it just came out, started talking, invited the woman cutting my hair to church. Just who we are. What we talk about. And then the, the last question, and then we'll close, is am I speaking God's word to the next generation? Parents. Parents. And even grandparents. Are you doing this? It's a huge privilege. Now, age appropriate, okay? When, when Tim was 17, I didn't say, come get in daddy's lap. Because I would have been crushed had I tried that. Okay? It's different. Matter of fact, by that age, I was giving them books to read, and they were off on their own doing things, and I just checked in once in a while. But especially when they were younger, I sat down and I took time. As a grandparent, it's a huge privilege. And there is no escape from the responsibility. Let me be very clear. God will ask every parent on Judgment Day if they did this. Not for getting into heaven, but it is part of reward. And make no mistake, I will not be asked about your children. I will be asked if I told you what I have just said. And I will say, yes, Lord, there's a link on our website. In fact, if you look it up, you can, you can Google it. It's right there. Okay? So, but you're going to be asked. You're going to be asked, all kidding aside. But it's an easy thing to be able to say, yes, Jesus, I did. I read to him. I put it in there constantly. 
for the rest of us, I, I want to encourage you. Again, if you're never going to be married and never have a child, you can pray for the next generation and you can look for ways to sow in. It is so, so, so important. We want to know that however long Jesus tarries, the gospel continued because we were faithful in sowing it in. Now, let me close by saying, I want us to be motivated by grace, not law. This is not a take your medicine teaching. Okay, that's really not what it is. You were created to know, love, glorify, and enjoy God now and forever. It's why you were made. Every other human being is unique, and we got different ways that we do things, and we got different callings, but here is the one that's the same for all of us. You were made to know God. You were made to glorify God. You were made to love God with every fiber of your being and to enjoy God now and forever. And friend, you can't do that apart from the Word of God. You just can't. So this isn't about medicine. It's about joy. If you say, how can I find deep, lasting, true joy in 2017? Hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. Take this word, hear it, speak it, and find joy, find love. Find that thing and you say, this is why I was made. This is what true life is. So this command is an invitation to joy. It's, it's an invitation to the ultimate party. Not a burden. Joy for us. So let's spend 2017 in radical pursuit of joy of hearing and speaking God's word. Amen? Let's stand together and we will conclude with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you are a God who made us not as toys or robots. You did not make us and wind us up and set us on a shelf and go off for bigger things. You are a God who has made us to know you. And oh God, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Oh God, our joy is unfulfilled until we know and love and glorify you. And Father, I thank you that just as surely as all of that that I just prayed is true, I thank you that you have showed us how. And Father, it is not hard. By your grace that is given to us in Christ Jesus, you have given us your word. And that word, Father, reveals to us who we are. And most importantly, it reveals who you are. And so, Lord, I pray for us. I pray that 2017 would be a year where the word of Christ would dwell richly in this church. And it would do that by dwelling richly in each one of our lives. Father, I pray for those who may sit here and struggle and feel guilty because they've tried before and done things. Father, I pray that you would stir up a desire by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you give them hope and encouragement. And Father, I pray that you would empower them, Lord, and that they would know this is a pursuit not to check off a to-do list, but it is a radical chasing after joy. Father, I pray that you would encourage it. Father, for those who may be reading but are stale, Father, I pray that you would give them divine insight and initiative. Father, for how to maybe hear your word a little bit differently, how to take it in a little bit differently. Father, I pray that tomorrow as we open your word, I pray you'd speak to each and every person here. Father, I pray that if they read about creation, 
it would sink into their soul what it means that we are made in the image of God. Father, if they read your law, Lord, they would know that it was given so that we might walk the way we were made. But Father, if we read the gospel of our Lord Jesus, Father, that it would sink deep into our hearts and fill us with gratitude that you have loved us so much that you were even willing to give your son. Father, I pray that we would hear it as it is, the word of our loving Father to his children. Father, may we hear your word and may we speak it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you shalom. In the name of Jesus, go forth in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.